0: Good morning. Well, uh, welcome this morning. i um, glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. It's been a—while um, you've been going through these doctrines of grace here, I've been up in our uh, office buildings with the youth, and there uh, we've been— um, my job has been primarily to do, give a vocabulary lesson and listen to Dr. Steve Lawson teach on the doctrines of grace. So Now, I'm not just hearing him, I'm going to present a few things, but I'm eager. Uh, these are the doctrines of grace from the Gospel of John, and uh, for me, it's a joy to be engaged in this, to be involved in this. Um, I look forward to what we have to share <clears throat> this morning. The, uh, the Gospel of John, you would... You would imagine, you could only imagine, and you don't have to imagine. I think we would know it, but these doctrines of grace—I'm going to use the word if they're true—not meaning, I think, I'm not sure—since they're true, uh, you would think that uh, they would be found throughout the Scripture and uh, in the Gospel of John as well. So, uh, we're going to be taking a look at uh, how we can see these uh, doctrines of grace in the Gospel of John, and uh, the the thing. I, I, I hope you're fascinated by it. I hope you're helped by it, encouraged by it. Um, <clears throat> but we, what we see in the Gospel of John is these things lived out. They're, they're not merely, and I don't mean it's a bad thing, but they're not merely line items on a, a document page. This is the, the, the doctrines of grace lived out in, uh, in the life of uh, humanity. We see Jesus interacting with uh, individuals, with crowds, uh, we see him uh, drawing people to himself. We see people uh, resisting uh, his, um, the, the, the obvious truth of who he is and what he does. So I, I would think for those of us who are believers, and we know we're called upon to be witnesses for Christ, we're called upon to be ambassadors, to be fishers of men, uh, to, to see how Jesus lived this out, um, these truths of the doctrines of grace Uh, Let me uh, pray, and I'll continue on with a few introductory thoughts, and then we'll begin to look at these um, five doctrines of grace. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the week that has passed. We're thankful for the week that lies in front of us. We're thankful uh, past, present, and future for just the awareness of your presence, the reality of your presence, your goodness in every way. We come to you as we want always to come to you humbly. We want to stand under you, Father, stand under your revelation of yourself, of your ways, your plans, your purposes, knowing that as we stand under you, uh, accepting what you give us, we, we come away with the understanding that we seem to call and hunger for. Father, uh, guide uh, our ears, our hearing, my speaking. Lord, allow me to say that which would be honoring to you, representative of you. Um, keep me from those things that will not be helpful, not be necessary at the moment. But we, we look forward to hearing you as, as we look through the Gospel of John. We're thankful for it, thankful for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, you have a handout um, that'll guide our way through it. Um, I almost gave you this four-page handout, (laughs) and I felt like maybe that'll be too much. Uh, What I have here are are the verses spelled out that we're going to be looking at, and uh, I've made up some of these. I didn't want to put them in front of you right now. I felt like that may not be the best way to go about things, but we'll walk through this. I'll I'll give reference to Scripture. You can find them on your page, but afterwards, if you'd just like to have that in a a more compact way, we'll do that. Uh, Hand those out and make them available. Three uh, passages, you know, the Gospel of John. I I think I could pull passages out of... uh, every chapter of the gospel of john and say these are key these are important they're significant at the near the end of the gospel of john john uh discloses he tells us his purpose for writing this gospel we see in verse 30 um john is saying therefore many other signs uh jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples but these these that i've written these that are Uh, In these chapters, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You could almost imagine, this would be a a bad imagination, but (laughs) I think it, it can be helpful to think of things. You can imagine as John is sitting down to write this, And then God's looking over his shoulder, seeing what he's writing. All right, there's problems right there already, but uh, God's looking at what he's writing and God's saying, John, don't you get it? Don't you get it that I've chosen those I I will say from the beginning of time? Don't you get it? (laughs) Why why do you want to write this? Why Why are you doing this? Don't you know it's all decided? It's all chosen? God didn't say that to John. God prompted John to write these things. And John wrote these, not his own whim. He wrote them at God's inspiration, and so his writing is that uh, people might know Christ and believe in him. Last night, I reviewed through it. Um, I believe in the Gospel of John, you can find at least 90, uh, 90 uses of the word believe. Sometimes it's believe, sometimes it's they did not believe, but this, uh, this call for us to believe Uh, is very present in the Gospel of John. I I hope and I believe that benefits us as we we too. We we do ask questions, things we've been hearing. They create legitimate questions, good questions. We want to be looking at Jesus and seeing how he um, did these things, lived out these truths. Interesting, the timing of it. Last night I was here up in the office building. I I wanted to be here to make some copies. But on Saturday evenings, I do a, a Zoom Bible study with some Korean families, two families. It's two adults in each family, two children. Near the end of the time, them not knowing what I'm teaching about today, one of the, I think he's an 11-year-old boy. He More serious than I've ever been. He's a serious boy, but he he looks at me and he says, isn't it true that God chooses people? I said, yeah, that's, that's true. And he said, well, what if God didn't choose me? Can you imagine, are you ready to answer that question? <laughs> are you ready to do that? I hope this will help us. Um, I believe it's helped me. Um, and, uh, and so what we're saying is these are not just things to let go in your ear and out the other one, okay? Uh, we want to pay attention. and We want to see our Savior um, who died for his own and redeemed them. In John 1, so the beginning chapter, uh, and we'll look at this passage again several times. Um, Jesus came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God." in that passage and it's uh, most likely it's been uh, instructed and taught um, in other aspects of the Bible. This is pervasive, but we see there are those who do not believe, those who do not receive him. We see there, there are those who believe him, believe Christ, among whom I trust we are, and though per, perhaps maybe not each one. But we also see, and we'll talk about it later, but we see that where this belief comes from, where that belief comes from. And then uh, the uh, third passage there is John 1, 29, again, early in John's writing. But I think it uh, puts in front of us the, uh, the very reason for Christ's coming. Uh, it says, the next day he saw Jesus coming. Uh, who, who's the he? Anybody know? John the Baptist. I love this image. Some of you may have heard me do it before, but I envision John the Baptist standing before a crowd. He had crowds around him, although his message is one of repent, change your thinking, change your life. He drew crowds around him, but John was not seeking to bring attention to himself. Uh, Across the landscape, he sees Jesus walking across and uh, he points and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, there were those among them in, in, in whose heart God was at work. There were those among them that were quite aware, I believe, of their sin as they saw the holiness of God. When you, when you get a glimpse of the holiness of God, it shouldn't take you really long to amass, recognize that you are in great need. You're a sinful before him, and uh, you have need to have someone take away your sin penalty. And so John points to that. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The issue is not our health, not our physical health, not our financial stability, not our human relationships, uh, not our environmental collapse, whatever it would be. Our problem is our sin that separates us from God. Thankfully, thank God, we praise God that he would come and redeem his own so i use that to introduce us on this and then you'll notice on the page um, today we'll um, discuss radical depravity sovereign election indefinite atonement hopefully we'll get through that i hope we don't have to push the sermon back a couple hours and uh, (laughs) all right i'm sure that won't happen Okay. Uh, So there's a lot on here. I don't want to give a sense of rushing through it, um, but I do hope to lay these things out, and we'll just trust God that that happens. Radical depravity, um, we see nine headings here. And uh, the first, what we're we're recognizing is the nature of, of man, the nature of man. In John 1.10, John 1.10 uh, tells us Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him, did not know him. There was an ignorance of him. Interestingly, as I think of it, ignore, have you ever ignored something before? Have you just ignored something? What, what is that? What, what's the implication there? You know it's there. It's there, but you ignore it, okay? You, uh, we can say, I'm ignorant of that. doesn't always mean I've never heard of that. It, it could be uh, it's been there, and I just ignore it. And I think we know. If we look at Romans 1, uh, just quickly, a quick reminder, uh, so clear in Romans 1, um, the natural reaction of man... <clears throat> Verse, uh, verse 20, verse, uh, well, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Uh, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse for even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him in our in our natural state, we are ignorant of god we 're not born um, we 're not born. Um well, just an interesting contrast here, an interesting expression. We, we can know him, but we ignore him, and therefore we, we do not function in that knowledge of him. So there's a spiritual ignorance, there's a spiritual blindness we can find as we go through John. John chapter 3, verse um, 3, Jesus said to him, who's that him in John 3? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a religious leader. A religious leader. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God uh, unless one is born again. Takes us back to John 1. We'll think about it some more, but something has to happen to us to to be able to see God. Apart from this event happening, uh, we're blind. We're spiritually blind. We see a lot of things. We see so much but uh, the depths of the spiritual truths of it were blind to it. Further in uh, John three, we see um, this spiritual hatred. Verse 19 and 20 men loved the darkness. Um, this is being said in the context that Jesus is claimed to be the light of the world. He is the light of the world. But here we read um, the men loved darkness. This is, this is natural man, love darkness rather than light. Why is that? Why? It doesn't make sense <laughs> unless you know the sinfulness of man uh, for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. It doesn't say everyone who does evil is indifferent to the light, th- uh, that type of thing. There's this, there's this hatred, there's this hatred. Um, you could speak to your unbelieving friends and say, "Well, do you hate God?" And most of them are going to say, "No, I, no, I don't hate God." That's what God would describe of, of humanity, uh, who is not embracing Christ, who is not loving Christ. Uh, it's really a hatred of God. In John 3:36, we're still in John chapter three. We see another one. Uh, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see the equation there between belief and obedience. They come together. To, to not believe God is to not obey God. Interestingly, how even as we go through the, John, we, we, we see commands to believe. There are commands to believe Christ, uh, but to disobey that command to disbelieve uh, can be described as a spiritual defiance you and i before trusting christ that was our life <laughs> we may not have looked at ourselves as uh, particularly defiant people but we were <laughs> we need to hear how god describes us how god defines us and we need to help our friends help them be thinking not how do you define your life how does the world around you define your life who are you in the eyes of God? When God sees you, what does He see? Uh, John five. Um, <clears throat> the next one is spiritual death. Uh, John five twenty four and twenty five. Let me read those. Um. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. You see there uh, the implication to believe in Christ, you pass out of death into life, but without Christ spiritually dead, there's a spiritual deadness. In verse 25, Jesus continues, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is, an hour is coming and now is, right now, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. So the spiritually dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Interesting. We'll, we'll be thinking about who is it who's really going to hear, who's really going to hear. But the point on this one is um, we are spiritually dead apart from Christ luke six forty four and forty uh, i'm sorry luke six forty four and then verse sixty five no one Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him verse sixty five uh, for this reason i 've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father so a spiritual inability uh, Steve i'm sorry yeah it's all John did I say yeah Um, i don't know how some things come out but they do if you can explain that to me someday to to luke where did that come from okay thank you john uh steve lawson uh, kind of rightly points this out it doesn't say no one may come to me, uh, that no one may come to me. May is a word of permission. Uh, you may go, you may not go. That's a permission thing. This is a can. This is a an expression of ability. No one can uh, come unless he's drawn. I hope later, I, if I have time, I'll express it. But if you go through John 6, I'm going to read it now, <laughs> uh, verses 37, in verse 37, just I've written down the sense of what's being said here, but if someone comes to Christ, it is because the father has given it. It comes means believe. If someone believes, if someone comes to Christ, it is because the father has given it. Verse 44, if someone comes, it is because the father has drawn him. If someone comes, it is because they have heard and learned from the father. Verse 65, if someone comes, it is because it has been granted from the father. Uh, John Six is so rich and so meaningful um, to us, <clears throat> but there 's a spiritual inability I can hear the i, I can I can hear certain things. Um, my own testimony you did not have to convince me that i was I had sin in my life <laughs> that 's not something that you had to convince me of <laughs> uh, i I was a nice church boy. <laughs> Uh, from birth to uh, probably baptized at a, a week or two old, who knows? But uh, uh, I went to church. A number of people would have said, what a good boy. My mother said, what a good boy you are. <laughs> uh, even after I confessed to her my sin. And, no, you, you, don't, you didn't do that. You're a good boy. <laughs> You've heard me say that. Uh, what I didn't realize, I thought, yeah, well, I know I'm sinful, but I can, I can improve myself. I can get better. Did you ever have that thought? Um, God, thankfully, by God's grace, he did not let that thought go on very long. <laughs> Again, just tr- honesty, truthfulness, that uh, I can't do this. I'm unable to do this. And what, you know, what's the next thing you say? You, you just cry out for mercy. God, have mercy on me. And uh, so we have that inability. Um, in John 8, 34 and, 30, uh, 34 and 44 on our list I'm going to combine the spiritual slavery spiritual bondage I believe they come together Uh, verse 34 Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin in this case to commit sin the the impression is to live a life a live a life totally devoted to that you and I as believers of children of God we we will commit a sin Um, Jesus is not talking on this regard but if your life is just a life disregarding God, uh, disrespecting, dishonoring, it's because you're a slave of sin. I, again, it's our nature. My nature is to sin. Uh, well, apart from my knowing that Christ died for me, took away my sin, the, the thing I look back to most, I'm so thankful for that, that God helped me understand my nature was to sin. That's my nature. I could not change it. I, 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 I wish I had time to walk you through it, but I think, of a, I think of a fish looking up in the sky and seeing a bird and that fish saying, man, I, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a bird. And so he gets out all of his books and he studies all the life of a bird and all the mechanics of a bird and all of that. He's still a fish. <laughs> and then he thinks, well, I just, to, I just need to watch and imitate. So we watch, and <laughs> still, still a fish. And he thinks, well, I just need to be near them, be among them. I just have to be with them. End of the day, still a fish. <laughs> you and I are sinners by nature. <laughs> That's why we sin. Uh, and we're in bondage to that. And, and, and if, you, if you read this section, the, the part, what, what's part of that is that you don't even know it. When Jesus spoke this to these people that you're a slave to sin, do you, you remember what their response was? We've never been enslaved to anyone. How foolish. (laughs) How ridiculous. As a a flag, a a flag, Roman flag flew over them. But there's this just denial of reality because Satan Satan seeks to kill and steal and destroy. He leaves us in bondage and he leads us in blindness. The last one that we list here is spiritual deafness in John chapter eight, verse 43. And 47, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You cannot hear my word. 47, he who hears the words of God, he who is of God, hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear because you are not of God. Interesting how uh, Steve Lawson presented this, but he he, uh, he said in his first, he said, we're going to be talking about the doctrines of grace and the doctrines of grace are, are like a diamond, a beautiful diamond. But if you just pull that diamond out and look at it, it has one nice appearance, but you put that diamond against a black velvet backdrop <laughs> and he describes how the richness and the vibrancy of that diamond uh, just comes out in its fullness. Not that the diamond is any different than what it was, this uh, uh, radical depravity, if we don't know this, if we don't know the depth and the riches of us, we can sometimes yawn at grace. and Oh, of course God's gracious to me. I, who, who would not be gracious to me? <laughs> you know, that, that's how humanity will think. And so this, this awareness of the, of, of the depth of our per, uh, depravity, this is the backdrop. And, and, and with this, If you don't come to the conclusions, if you don't see what God is saying in these other doctrines of grace, (laughs) I believe you end up being deceived and uh, you end up really not having an answer to to the questions that lie before us. Let's uh, look at sovereign election, sovereign election. I think we're gonna find here with sovereign election and with uh, definite atonement we're going to find some of these passages fit in both places, so we may see them again. Uh, some of them could even be tied into these others. The, the, uh, even Lawson says, these, these doctrines all come together. You don't just pick and choose what you want. They come together. <laughs> They're all together, and they must be together. And we thank God and praise God that they are all together. So <clears throat> sovereign election, we come back to John one twelve. Um a divine choice is the title. To tell you the truth, uh, Steve Lawson puts some titles on these. He has a uh, he has a, a a book that I've been able to refer to, but I've also been listening to his lectures, and they they don't always match up. They don't contradict in any place, but it's not everything that matches up. But uh, divine choice, John one twelve, as many as received him, uh, as the number of those who received Christ, who believed in his name. And it says that they were born. And then there's not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. There's three negatives. There's one positive. And I believe God graciously gave us those three negatives because without them, we may be drawn or to, to be thinking that those are the ways that we became children of God. Uh, but no... It's of we're born of God, a divine choice, a divine choice and a divine work. I'm sure you've heard it before and you've thought it. You and I, I ask friends, uh, do you remember the day you were born? Most, most of them don't. All of them don't. <laughs> I said, what did you have to do with your birth? In other words, what, what was your involvement in your birth? None. <laughs> I said, that's right. In your physical birth. That was not something you... You participated in that spiritually. It's quite the same way, and I believe that's why God chooses this to communicate to us. Um, it's, God's, it's God's divine choice. When you think of that, then you, ha- you, you have to move in the direction of a conclusion. Why did these not believe? You come to the conclusion they were not chosen. They were not chosen. Are they still called upon to believe? Yes. Are they still held responsible for their failure to do that? But the sovereign election is God's work. Uh, John 6, 37 and um, Um, 39. All that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. 39, this is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. This is, uh, this is God's choice. It, it, it's an eternity past. God, God chose and then God gives to Christ. God chose and God gives to Christ. Um, I, I don't think it can be clearer. We, we, sometimes the thoughts like that trouble us we we ought to be thankful <laughs> i'm thankful that god chose me if he didn't chose me i wouldn't be with him so what a grand work it is and a thankful work but it's uh, clair- clarity the father all the father gives me will come to me I think perhaps the idea of an eternal choice and loving choice. It's it, We see this in, in God's relationship to his son, Jesus Christ. This was a love gift. These these ones who were saved are a love gift to Jesus Christ. So it's a loving choice, uh, a, a choice of love of, to the son, as well as a love to those who are saved. And it's eternal. It's out of God's, God's eternal working. John 10, 1 through 4. Um, a precious choice, interestingly, um, in one of Lawson's books, he says precious, then the other one is previous, so there's a previous precious choice. Um, <clears throat> what we find, this is where, uh, with the shepherd and the sheep, I'm going to start at verse two, but he who enters by the door, that's referring to Christ, uh, he is the shepherd of the sheep, in verse three, to him, to Christ, the doorkeeper, possibly John the Baptist uh, is the doorkeeper reference, but to, to Christ. Uh, the door is open. The sheep hear his voice. Jesus calls his sheep by name, by name, and leads them out. Uh, I think that 's the the preciousness of it. We call by name it 's not just a "Hey you hey y'all <laughs> come no it 's by name one by one. This is a choice it's not a it's not a it 's not a, a group um, call it 's a it 's an effectual call it 's a real call. Uh, Jesus calls his sheep by name. This is sovereign election. In uh, chapter thirteen, verse eighteen, uh, J- uh, Jesus—if—if if you kind of connect John thirteen, you may know what that is. But it's at the uh, the Passover supper. Uh, the whole the whole twelve, the whole group of twelve is right there. And we see here, Jesus speak this, I do not speak of all of you. He's speaking to the 12 and he's saying, I do not speak of all of you. Here's an interesting thing to observe. All of you, there are 12, 12 of them in the room. He says, I don't speak to all of all of you. And then he says, I know the ones I've chosen. And what we see there and something we have to see as we go through John and, um, other places, it's this use of the word all. There was all of them who God had originally chosen for, to, to serve him, to be with him, to walk with him, but now he's saying, I'm not speaking to all of you, I'm speaking to the ones I have chosen. What we find and what's pointed out is there's a, a big all and there's a smaller all, and we see that. I, I think if you'll look, you'll see that. Believe me, that time of thinking troubled me for a long time. I see these words all in the Bible, and to me, all means All. <laughs> All does mean all, but there are different contexts and different thoughts there. So he says, "I know the ones I have chosen." We do not see that Judas was saved. There's no, there's nothing that I think we can see that would cause us to think that Jesus was saved or that Judas was saved. Um, and so we have this. It's a, a distinguishing choice. There's a distinguishing. All may have been called in a particular way, but a fewer, a smaller number are chosen like this. Look at John 15, 16. Um, You did not choose me, Jesus speaking to them. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You look at that and you go, is there anything unclear about that? Steve Lawson says uh, he wanted to make sure he got it, so he looked in the Greek, so he studied the Greek real carefully, real closely, and then he presented. This is what it means. He said, it means, you did not choose me, but I chose you. (laughs) That's what it means. That's what it says. That's what it means. You didn't choose me. The disciples... They would hear that. Well, you called. You said, "Follow me," and we followed you. That's true. Why? Why did you follow me? Why did you hear my voice? Why did you do that? It's because I chose you. I chose you. Um, uh, There's a there's quite a clarity uh, to these statements, and um, I believe we're um, to come to any other conclusions leave us uh, really in opposition to what God's saying overall John 15 19 uh, oh by the way um, pointed out I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain can't speak long on that but that's a purposeful choice God chose us for a purpose and that purpose is to bear fruit uh, we know in two ways of bearing fruit. One is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what God is wanting to, to do within us. And as God does that, there's a fruit of ministry. There's a fruit of service. We find that in Romans 1, that you would bear fruit. You see, the lives you and I have, you, if you go the wrong way on some of these thoughts, you may think, well, I'm a robot. I'm a puppet. I, I, you know, that's all I am. no. <laughs> You have a purpose, I have a purpose. These disciples had a purpose. They, when their savior died and rose again and ascended to heaven, they were left with this purpose to serve him. I can't, hard to say these without giving some testimony, but before I came to faith in Christ, my life, it was purposeless. You ask my sister what I told her. You know, People say, well, what, what do you wanna be when you, you know?" and I said, well, I wanna be a bum. You wanna be a what? a bum it, it's a, it was a, because I was lazy I wasn't a lazy person I just didn't have a purpose to live I I didn't want to be a rocket scientist I didn't want to be a banker I, t- to me those type of things they, there's nothing thrilling about those things uh, but the, the day I came to faith in Christ I had an eternal purpose and you too you have an eternal purpose uh, that God has called you to, called you to bought you to and uh, brought you to. John 17, nine, even um, a longer section quite a number of verses. I won't be able to look at it. Here we we just have nine. So let me read that. Uh, This is uh, the high priestly prayer. Jesus is really on the verge of being on the cross, of, of being improperly tried, unjustly tried, flogged, and then on the cross, So he's praying before this. In verse nine, Jesus says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. There are other verses in 17 we can look at, but is there not clarity to that? Jesus clearly says from his mouth, I'm asking on their behalf. Who's there? There are the ones that God the Father had given to Christ. They were given to Christ because they were the ones who had been chosen. And so Jesus says, I I ask on their behalf, not on behalf of the world, uh, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Interesting wording again, just rich wording, but they are yours. There's a possession. Uh, You and I, in Christ, we belong to God. And the Corinthian verse tells us, uh, do you not know? you, You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. That is such a, a, a distinctive reality for us. I don't belong to myself, and you don't either. If you're a child of God, uh, you've been bought and purchased. And thank God, the, the other uh, option is not a good one. Uh, so let's just push the sermon back a few—no, okay, all right, we won't do that. Okay, <laughs> Let's go to uh, defi- uh, definite atonement, definite atonement. We may have to um, include some of this next week. Um, When Lawson introduces this, and I think he does it in a good way, but he speaks about the heart of the doctrines of grace, the heart, the core of the doctrines of grace is the atoning death of Jesus Christ. We saw that in John chapter one, verse twenty-nine. Christ came. Why did He come? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give His life for those whom He would save, those whom God gave to Him. So, uh, so the substitutionary death of Christ is uh, is extreme importance in every way. Um, this idea of definite atonement um, two questions can be asked so Christ died for sin uh, one question is for whom did he die for whom did Christ die and then what did he accomplish in his death what did he accomplish in his death and the <clears throat> by Jesus death and resurrection do we today rejoice that everyone who has ever lived is on their way to heaven is that we don't believe that, do we? <laughs> we don't believe that. Uh, so it just it it forces us; it draws us in to be thinking. Then some of the things we read, and it, it helps our understanding as we allow ourselves to look at God's revealed purposes in this. But for whom did He die? What did He accomplish in His death? Uh, the the th- in this the the thought is that. What was the intent of his death? You tell me the intent of his death and I'll tell you the extent of his death. That's, that's what's being said. So let's look at, um, uh, and this is, so yeah, I really think we will do a little bit today and then we'll have to come back tomorrow. Or uh, tomorrow? You want to come back tomorrow? Or <laughs> after the worship? Okay, all right. Uh, we'll come back next week. Um, <clears throat> think of uh, John 129 because questions arise they, they, they necessarily arise in our mind what is being said here 129 behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world the sin of the world did God pay for the sin of the world and yet some that he died for have gone to hell folks you don't you don't want to go down that path you don't think that way uh, listen to these, and this is probably where we'll finish. I believe this is on the back of your paper. Do you have uh, ten, um, a list of ten uh, scriptures, or I think there's maybe eleven? So let's go through this. Uh, <clears throat> in the New Testament, there's something like 150 uh, r- references using the word "world." Uh, cosmos is the Greek word. uh, Most of those, half of those references are in the Gospel of John. Another large number are in the epistles of John. Several are in the Revelation. In other words, John uses world very much. But as you go through John and you look at it, world has some different meanings. So let's just take a look, and uh, it might be a good place uh, for us to to finish and then come back next week. But let's look at some of these uh, in John 1.10. Interesting, you'll see it. He was in the world, Christ was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. <laughs> Three uses of world there. But the first two, at least, uh, is really expression of the entire universe, the material creation. Uh, he was in the world. That's, that's what that verse is talking about. Jesus was in the world, in the mat- uh, material, in the universe. Uh, universe. Um, I think when you see the third world there, you're talking about the world did not know him. Uh, that's probably going to mean (laughs) non-believers because believers knew him. Okay. Non-believers didn't know him. John, John 17, five, Jesus is praying. Now, father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory, which I had uh, with you before the world was again, material creation, the, the creation chapter, uh, number two, John 13, one, uh, now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Interesting expressions. If we, if you take time to think through these, they make wonderful sense and helpfulness. But in this case, world is the physical earth. They're just the physical earth. Not so much the whole creation, but the physical earth. Qu- number three, John twelve thirty one. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Again, Jesus' words. In this case, world is referring to the world system. Satan is the head of this, anything which is antithetical to God. That's how world is being used in this case. Um, uh, John 7, 7. Uh, Jesus speaking, uh, I believe he's speaking to his brothers. He said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. In this case, uh, the world is going to be referring to unbelievers, humanity minus believers. Believers don't hate Jesus. They don't hate God. They love him. It may be a growing love, a maturing love. they don't hate him. So in this case, the world, it's it's not meaning everyone. It's talking about unbelievers. Uh, Number five, John 12, 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Uh, In this particular case, Pharisees are speaking. Uh, It was almost an exaggeration on the part of the Pharisees, but they say the world has gone after him. The world didn't go. It's not the world, the totality of every human in the world, the uh, folks living in Alaska at the time or wherever. <laughs> you know, not everybody was coming. This world, in that case, meant a large group. Uh, John 7, 4. For no one do, uh, does anything in secret, when he himself seeks to be known publicly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. Jesus' brothers are talking to him; they're saying, "Show yourself to the world." It's really just a statement of show yourself to the general public. Don't seclude yourself here. Show yourself. Make yourself known. Uh, number se- seven, John one twenty-nine. We've spoken of that, and um, and so here, when th- and this is where. Um, there's a, a need for interaction. Hopefully, these words help us, though. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, the question is there, and it has to come out. If Jesus took away the sin of everyone in the world, why is it not everyone in heaven? It's clear from scriptures that not everyone has a saving relationship with God. If that is not happening, there's... If, if, if uh, Jesus say died for everyone's sins and then he paid the price for their sin and then they're sent to hell, we talk about some s- concept of God being not fair. That would be very much not fair. Um, there would be an inequity and an impossibility. Uh, the, the variety of scriptures really help us become to define and think through what God is talking about. Um, John 8, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We read that. That word is bombarded upon us. It's a true word from God's God's word. And yet in light of these, in light of what we're understanding about use of the world, uh, it's a better conclusion for us to come up with. This is, and these words come out it's not a it's not a it's uh what do i want to say it's a what's uh, let me get the word here correctly it's not an all without exception but it's an all without distinction uh try to uh last week as i taught it to the youth on the board i had drawn about 30 stick people. Some, some were with a black pen, some with a red pen, some with a blue pen, some with a green pen. If I said all without exception, it would indicate all of those are are fitting into what I'm going to talk about. If we understand that all without distinction or the world without distinction, God, God um, I could say, all kinds of men, all possibilities of men, all all kinds of humanity. Um, that one will be require some more thinking. But what we see here, then, it's the idea of um, where where do I have that? It's it's more of an idea including the Is, Israel as well as Gentiles. So, in that sense, God loved the world. If someone comes to salvation, if someone knows Christ if someone comes to salvation Christ is the only one by whom they've come and um and we see in revelation we've been for men and women from all tribes and nations but we see the wording there it's not all men from all tribes and all nations hope some of that um is helpful finally John, uh, near the end 179 I ask on their behalf, we've discussed this before, but I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. In this case, the world refers to the non-elect, not for the world, uh, but for those you have given me. Um, I do not ask on behalf of the world, so that means the non-elect. Um, I wonder if my next statement, not for the world, but for those who... Yeah, so that's... He's asking on behalf of the ones given to him. He's not asking on behalf of the non-elect. Verse uh, number 10, John three seventeen. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That the world might be saved through him. Um, the whole world is not saved. We recognize that. There's no one here that is going to dispute that. That's, a, a, that's called a universal view of salvation, and, and Scripture just doesn't support it. Because of that, then we have to come to an understanding that the world might be saved through him. It, that means the elect. That refers to the elect. I have, uh, so at the end of our time, at the end of this um, page, Perhaps you've heard things that have been clear to you since uh, you were a kindergartner. <laughs> Perhaps you're hearing things that um, they challenge the way you've um, been taught, the way you've thought. Uh, these things certainly have come before me this way. I, I, um, um, I have not always been of the persuasion I am, but um, when I stand under God's word, um, I just come to a rejoicing in what, what God has done. And let me remind us as I finish, When um, a little boy asked me last night, he said, is, doesn't God choose? I said, yes, he does. He says, well, what if God hasn't chosen me? I said, what would make you think that God has not chosen you? Is there anything anywhere to imagine that God has not chosen you? I said, is God opening your eyes? Do you, do you see yourself uh, attentive to, to what God is saying? Do you see uh, that that you have an awareness of a need for God's salvation? Um, you and I, um, you and I don't see chosen. As we go through the um, Book of John, we don't see God saying, um, "Preach to people, uh, be chosen, be chosen, be chosen." <laughs> that's that's not the message we hear. We hear the message of. Uh, uh, this Savior, this Christ, came into the world. He reveals. That's John one. He reveals who God is. Um, w- recently on campus, we talked with some group of believers and non-believers. And um, John four, the woman at the well. When that picture starts, you don't you don't see a C. You don't see a chosen written on that lady's head. Okay, <laughs> you don't you don't see it there. <laughs> Um, Jesus came and proclaimed Christ. He, he had chosen her, that's why he came. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say to us is, we look at the Gospel of John and we see how these realities of human responsibility and God's sovereignty work out. I find great hope and joy and direction in those things. Hopefully we all do. Let me uh, finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice. Um, How can we not rejoice that you would call us to yourself, we who are dead in sin, blind, deaf, defiant, enslaved to sin, uh, and no ability to work our way out of that, no ability to merit um, life with you, and yet you have given that to us. You've borne us again. We praise you for it. We pray that we might grow, help us to continue to grow in your great truths, your great doctrines of grace in ways that we fully honor you and represent you to a lost world. We pray now for our uh, time of worship, that it will be um, all to your honor, all to your glory, to our edification. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.